soundboard action. Hey, you can be seated as you already are. If you'll grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus, a reading from Exodus chapter 6. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Morning, everybody. I'm going to try to get this to not fall off. My, my dad's here this morning. When, uh, he was, when we were setting up, he said, you know, your Bible's going to slide off of that. And uh, I, didn't, I didn't listen, and now I'm regretting that. Okay, we'll try this. All right, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for, for your promises. We thank you so much for your your spirit. Um, and God, we just ask that you would be with us right now. Would you please just um, give us ears to hear? I pray that your word will, that your word will speak to us exactly where we are and encourage us or rebuke us or comfort us or remind us or whatever we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Exodus 5 on your Bible, in your Bible or on your, your device. So we've been walking through Exodus for the past few weeks, and this week we're going to be in Exodus 5 and 6. And we said last week that Exodus is a really good, it's a really good and helpful study for us to be doing because just like the Israelites, we have grown up in a culture and in an environment where there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of kind of misinformation about who God is. We get a lot of, of, of false messages from our environment about who God is, and we end up internalizing those messages and then 
kind of without realizing it, when we think about God, we start thinking about him more based on these false messages we've gotten from culture than we do actually his, his word. And we gave some examples like I, I, our parents, you know, that some of us have parents that are very, that are very Christ-like, that are very godly. Um, I've been blessed too. Some of us don't, but none of our parents are, are perfect, right? And so we tend to look at our parents, especially our fathers, and say, okay, that's the way my dad is. That must be what God is like. If my dad is never around, well, then God's probably not going to want to, I'm not going to be able to have a very intimate relationship with God. If my dad's abusive, well, then I'm going to be really scared of God. And also from, from culture, you know, from, from movies or from music or, or whatever, and we start, maybe we can take the cue from culture and start thinking, well, you know, God would never want me to do something. God would never say no to something that I think would make me happy, Right? Well, where do we get that idea? Well, I think we get that idea from culture. And so what we've been saying is that we, we want to, as we're walking through Exodus, really the Israelites were in the same boat because they had, it had been over 400 years since they had heard from, from, since there was a recorded revelation from God to his people in the Bible. And also they've been living in the midst of, of Egypt, this place that's full, of, that's full of idols, that have statues. And so when they think about God, their view of him is influenced by, you know, they've seen the statue to the sun God. They've seen the statue to the river God. And so, okay, so what do they do when they get out of, out of Egypt? Well, they start making statues to their God too, even if, even if they've been told explicitly not to, right? And so Exodus, God, very gradually, he's, he's helping them to renew their view of who he is, and I think that as we look at Exodus, that he will also help us to have a clearer picture. You know, Matt said when he started this, this series that, that so often our main problem is our view of God is so small. You know, we need to have a big view of God. We need to have an accurate view of God. So how are we going to get that? So what we said is that over the course of the study in Exodus, let's try to, let's try to when we read the word, Let's try to notice things that we see. That's like, huh? That's you know, that's a little bit different than my the way I think or the way I feel about God. And we're going to look specifically for two for two different things. We're going to look first of all um, at what does God say. What does God say? And second of all, what does God do? We're going to look at what God says and look at what God does, and we're going to to try by the power of the Holy Spirit to draw conclusions about who God is and how we should think about him and what our relationship with him is going to be like based on what he says and what he does, not based on what we think or what culture tells us or, or things like that. Does that make sense? Um, so last week, we looked at Exodus 3 and 4, and what did we learn last week? One of the things that we saw that God did last week and also said is that he he introduced himself to Moses. He, introdu- he, he makes an introduction to, to Moses. And he tells Moses his name. He says, when Moses says, you know, who should I tell the people ha- has sent me? He says, he, he says, tell them that I am has sent you. And we said that this word that's in Hebrew, it's Yahweh. And it literally means um, I am that I am, or I will be that I will be. Okay, and in Hebrew, it's Yahweh. And if you look in your Bible, like, let's see, if you look at, so our passage today, let's see, Exodus 5. Um, yeah, look at verse 2. 
Look at Exodus 5, verse 2. So, and again, we'll talk about what this means in a second, but look at how God's referred to. In verse 2, it says, it talks about God, and it says, it uses the word Lord, but look how it's spelled. It's capital L-O-R-D. So capital L-O-R-D, Lord. Not, you know, just capital L, and then, you know, the rest is, is lowercase, but it's capital L-O-R-D, Lord. Well, what's the deal with that? Is that a, a typo? Um, what, what, what we find is that the, the Israelite people, they had so much reverence for God's name, the Lord, because this wasn't just his, you know, there's, there, there's every country kind of, or every kind of people at that time had their, had their God, but so, so God was kind of this, this term that, that people used to refer to, to Baal or to, uh, to Asherah or to, you know, the, the sun God of Egypt, but this word, Yahweh, the Lord, was God's, it's like if I say, hey, my name is Ryan. You know, that's, that's my personal name that I, I share with people that I really want to know me. And the people of Israel had so much reverence for, for this name, Yahweh, that they, instead of, that they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't want to say it because they had so much reverence for it. And so what they did is instead they, they put the word, the Lord, in place of, of the word Yahweh because they wanted to show respect for God's name. And so in our Bibles today, in our English translation, when you see the capital L-O-R-D, it's talking about, it's talking about Yahweh, the God who, well, when did he, when did he come here? He, he just is. How long is he going to be here? Well, he just is. He doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end. He's always with us. He's always loving Right. This is this is Yahweh. This is the Lord. Okay. So that was that was what we saw last week. That God is the Lord. He's always with us. He's eternal, and He wants us to know Him personally. Okay. And this week, what we're going to see. So what I'm going to do, um, like Matt kind of referred to earlier um, during during the music, we're, we're talking today about how God keeps His promises. That God is a God. He's faithful, which means that if He promises, if He says He's going to do something, then He's going to do it. You can, you can bank on it. But what I first want to do um, before we, we really jump into that theme, I, I want us to, we're looking at five and six today. So I want to kind of summarize for you what's happening in, in chapter five. And then we're going to get into a lot of the details of that passage that Laird just read in chapter six. Okay. So in Exodus chapter five, remember, so God has had this kind of, argument with Moses. You know, God's like, oh, I want you to go tell the people to, that I'm going to let them go. And Moses is like, oh, I'm not a good speaker. And God says, I'll be with you. But he says, oh, God, please send somebody else. And finally, you know, Moses and then his brother Aaron, they end up going back to Egypt. And they come to the, the people, the, the elders of, of the Israelites, and they say, great news. You know, we, we met God, you know, the, the Lord, the God of our fathers, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he appeared to us. And he's going to, to rescue us. He's heard you. He loves you. He knows you're enslaved in Egypt. He, he's going to, to rescue you. And, and the people are really excited. And I mean, they, you know, they heard this. They thought, oh, man, God is, God is with us. This is awesome. I mean, they went to work the next day with just a, a pep in their step. You know, things are, things are going to turn around, Right. So then, okay, so, you know, that was Moses' first worry that, okay, I go to the people and the people aren't going to listen to me. Well, they did, right? 
well, what's the next step? Well, the, the next step is, well, he has to go to Pharaoh. Okay, so he goes before Pharaoh, and then we'll pick up here in Exodus 5, verse 1. Okay, so Exodus 5, verse 1, it says that afterward, that's after, after they tell the people of Israel and they get so excited and they worship God. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, and again, it's capital L-O-R-D, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. Okay, so how is Pharaoh going to respond? The, the Israelites responded, you know, they, they were all on board. Let's see how Pharaoh responds. Verse 2, it says, but Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. Moreover, I will not let Israel go. So um, I like to watch uh, basketball, and I like to watch the NBA. I'm a really bad uh, Carolina grad. I don't watch a lot of UNC basketball. I watch a lot of uh, of NBA basketball, um, so don't judge me for that. But uh, I remember a few years ago when I was watching the playoffs, and so the NBA playoffs is like my favorite thing to watch on TV. I think it's awesome. And I was watching the NBA playoffs a few years ago, and there was, uh, I forget which round it was, but basically the, so the Milwaukee Bucks were playing the Boston Celtics in, in the playoffs. And uh, there was this guy, he was the point guard for the Milwaukee Bucks. He was kind of this hot shot, like all-star point guard. His name's Eric Bledsoe. Okay, anybody know who Eric Bledsoe is? Anybody know where I'm going with this? Um, okay, so Eric Bledsoe, he's, he's getting ready for the next round. And, you know, they do interviews constantly. They're doing interviews. And the, the point guard for the Boston Celtics, who's the guy he's going to be matching up with in the next, in the next round, his name is, uh, is Terry Rozier. Terry Rozier. You know what I'm talking about? And, and so, uh, so then the reporter goes to Eric Bledsoe, and, and they say, hey, you know, this guy. And Terry Rozier is kind of like an up-and-coming, people don't really know who he is, but he's been playing well. And they come to, to, Terry, to, to Eric Bledsoe, and they say, the reporter says, hey, you know, this guy, Terry Rozier, I mean, he's, he's playing really well. I mean, he's, he's averaging like... 12 points a game. I mean, how are you worried at all about this matchup, having to guard him? And Eric Bledsoe, he kind of gets this scowl on his face, and he's like, who? And the reporter's like, uh, you know, Terry Rozier, he's, he's the guy. And, and Eric Bledsoe's like, who? Man, I don't even know who that guy is. Right? And he obviously, he, he said it in a more colorful way than that. You can go look at it on YouTube. But, uh, Obviously, he knew who he was, but what was he saying? He's saying, that guy's a nobody compared to me. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm Eric freaking Bledsoe, you know? Like, this guy's a, this, I don't even know who this guy is. He's not even, he, he can't hold a candle to me, is basically what he's saying. I'm going to destroy this guy. He doesn't even matter. And so how do you think, how do you think Terry Rogier? would respond. Let's say that you were an up-and-coming, or imagine an up-and-coming, you know, really competitive uh, basketball player. How do you think Terry Rozier responded? Well, he basically says, okay, 
You don't know who I am? That's fine. But you will. You're going to find out who Terry Rozier is. And after this next series, you're, you're not going to have any question in your mind who Terry Rozier is. And, you know, he ended up actually doing that and, and really winning that matchup. And that's basically what's kind of going on here in this passage. That, um, that you know, Moses comes, to, Moses comes to Pharaoh. He's like, hey, Pharaoh, you know, the Lord, the God. And Pharaoh's like, I don't even know who that guy is. The, the Lord? Aren't his... Aren't the Lord's people like slaves or something? I mean, aren't they from, I mean, didn't our gods enslave them? I don't even know who that God is. I'm not going to listen to what he says. And, and God responded very similarly to, to Terry Rogier. And, and we see this as we, you know, next week we're going to be looking at the plagues. And over and over again, God says, I am the Lord. Watch what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. And then he will know that I am the Lord. And all of Egypt, when I, you know, really open up a can of you-know-what on them, all of Egypt is going to know that I am the Lord. Okay? And so that's kind of what's going on here. And then so Pharaoh, Pharaoh is, uh, so he's, he's kind of offended by this. And so what he does is he, he starts making the work of the Israelite people harder. And so what he does, he takes away, so they're slaves and they're making bricks and at the time, they would put uh, straw, they'd mix it in with their, with their bricks, and that would kind of reinforce it and make it stronger, so the bricks kind of stuck and were, were stronger and stuff. Uh, and so Pharaoh says, we're not giving you straw anymore. They used to, you know, chop up the straw and then give it to them so they could build more quickly. He said, no more. You want straw, you go find your own straw. But I expect you to, you know, your production is still going to be the same. If not, then I'm going to beat you. And so, you know, the people, this is terrible, and this is an impossible task for them. So, you know, they're, they're miserable, they're upset, uh, they're, they're complaining to Moses, or they're complaining to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, hey, don't, don't, don't blame me. It's this guy, this guy Moses over here. This guy Moses seems to think that you guys have a lot of free time on your hands. He, he thinks you guys have time to go out and go out to the desert and have a feast to some, you know, God I've never heard of. So, okay, if you got so much free time on your hands, I mean, you know, I can fix that. And so he's, he, he makes their work harder. And, and so then the people, who do you think they get mad at next? They get mad at Moses. And they say, Moses, what, why are you doing this to us? You should have just left us alone. I mean, it was so much easier, at least before they used to give us straw. And so then who does Moses complain to? Well, Moses comes and he complains to God. And let's look at verse 22. In 522. So Moses in chapter 5, verse 22, it says that Moses turned to the Lord, again, the capital L-O-R-D, the Lord, and he said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you even send me? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. God said, I'm going to deliver my people, and Moses says, it's just gotten worse. You haven't even delivered us a little bit. You're, we're going the wrong direction here. Okay, so, so Moses is discouraged, and Moses has seen God's power in different ways. He's seen it on Mount Sinai. He saw the burning bush. He knows that he has, God's given the ability to to perform different miracles, but he's, he's doubting. 
and he's he's scared, and he's starting to worry that, okay, maybe God's not going to do what he says he's going to do. So here's my question, and what we're going to really dig into here. How is God going to comfort Moses? How is God, because God doesn't ignore him. God's going to try to encourage him. But how is God going to try to encourage Moses? What's he going to say, okay, to try to encourage Moses to continue to be faithful? Well, he's going to remind Moses of his promises. He's going to remind Moses of all the things that he promised to do. So let's look at chapter 6. So he's going to remind Moses of his, of his own promises and use those to encourage Moses to continue to be faithful to what God's doing. And I think this is really relevant to us because, I mean, how many of us have felt kind of like Moses felt? That, God, I'm, I mean, you told me to do this thing. You told me to act with integrity at my, my workplace. You told me to try to raise my kids this way. You told me to... Um, to, to believe in you, you told me to share the gospel with my, my coworkers. I, I'm, I'm doing what you told me to do, but life's just getting harder. And the more, it seems like the more I do what you say, the worse stuff gets. What you, you know, you said you were going to give me abundant life, but you haven't given me abundant life at all. I mean, we feel that a lot of times, don't we? I, I feel that way a lot of times. So I think this is very relevant for us because God's encouraging Moses in a situation that we find ourselves in a lot. So let's see how he encourages Moses, because I think that's the way he wants to encourage us as well. So in verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1, it says, when Moses said to the Lord, or the Lord said to Moses, but the capital L-O-R-D, Lord, said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. So that's the, oh, you don't, you don't know who I am, do you? All right, well, that's fine. Just, just wait. You won't have any questions in a few more chapters. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God says, when I get through with Pharaoh, you won't have to bring the people out. Pharaoh will be begging you to leave. That's what I'm going to do to Pharaoh. And then he starts to remind Moses of his promises. He says in verse 2, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I'm the Lord. And I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, the capital L-O-R-D, I did not, uh, by that name, I did not make myself known to them. Okay, so... God Almighty, El Shaddai, means, yeah, El Shaddai is the word for God Almighty. And so God revealed himself as the powerful God who could do whatever he wanted to do, but he didn't make himself known in this personal way. Hey, my name's Ryan. Nice to meet you. Let's have coffee sometime. In that type of way. Okay, so he, you know, he made promises to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He helped them get out of lots of tight spots, but they didn't have the type of intimate relationship that God is bringing Moses into and that he's bringing us into, okay? So in verse four, he says, I also established my covenant with them 
to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Okay, so this, was, this is what God promised to, to Abraham. Back in Genesis 15, you can go back and, and read this. In Genesis 15, God has told Abraham to leave his home, and he says, don't worry, I'm going to, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you, he says, you know, look up at the stars. You know, imagine it's nighttime, no light pollution. Look up at the stars. Look at all the stars, countless stars. And God says, I'm going to give you more offspring than there are stars in the sky. And then he says, I'll bless you and make you a great nation. And he says, this land of Canaan, at the time, Moses or uh, Abraham was passing through the land of Canaan. It's this, it's basically like, it's the prime real estate in, in that area. Okay, it's the prime real estate. And God says to him, he says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give this land to you and your children as a possession so you can live here. It's, exa- it's kind of like if somebody said, you know, I'm looking for a house. If somebody said, you know, I've got a house in Copper Leaf for you. I'm going to give it to you. Really? That's kind of, that's kind of, what, that's kind of what God's saying to, to Abraham right here. Um, by the way, if you have a house, I'm just kidding. Um, but look at what he says next. So he's, I, he promises there'll be a great nation and that he will give them this land to, to live in. Now, the first part's already happened. We saw that, Matt talked about that a few weeks ago, that in the midst of the most, the, the worst possible circumstances where Pharaoh is trying to kill off as many of the Israelites as he possibly can, says the more they were oppressed, the more they just multiplied. And by this point, they have about 2 million people. Okay, they had come into Egypt with about 70. Now they're at 2 million. So, you know, first one, check. All right, but what about this land? Because they're, they're, they're slaves in Egypt. Look at what he says in verse 5. He says, moreover, this is kind of the version, this is the Exodus version of, of but God. Okay, he says, moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Okay, he, he didn't forget about it, but he's, he's honoring the covenant. He's honoring the promises that he made to Abraham. And then verse six, he says, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out. Okay, so here, a few things that God's promising to do here in verses five through eight. First of all, he says, um, uh, let's see. Yeah, first of all, he says, I will deliver you. Okay, so, so you're slaves. I'm going, to take, I'm going to take you out of this place where you're being, where you're being oppressed. I'm going to take you out. Second of all, he says, he says, I will redeem you in, uh, in, verse, in verse six. He says, I will deliver you from slavery and then I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Okay, so redeem is a really interesting word. And it kind of, it, it, sometimes it just means to rescue, but it's really interesting because if you look up this word redeem in the Old Testament, one of the most common places that you'll find this word is in the book of Leviticus. 
And so in Leviticus, God's giving them these kind of basically laws for business practice, laws for, um, laws for economics and for, for living, living in close proximity to each other. And the, the rule that God gives them is he says, okay, so all of the people at the time, they're, they're farmers, they're herdsmen. He says, everybody has their own land. And so if, if one, let's say, for example, that I, um, you know, for whatever reason, you know, maybe it's my fault, maybe it's not my fault, uh, I'm about to go bankrupt, or I'm about to, I'm, I'm not doing well, I'm really poor, I'm, I'm about to starve, okay? So God would al- allow me in the law basically to sell, to, to take my land and to sell it to somebody else. Um, let's say I wanted to sell it to Will. I could sell my land to Will, and so now I have... Now I have some money, and I can, I can provide for my family, and we're going to make it through this, this tough time, okay? But if at any point I had the money to buy my land back, okay, I, I could come to Will and say, okay, I'm going to buy my land back. And, and the law was if somebody came with the money to buy their land back, you had to sell it back to them, and not at interest, not with a jacked-up price. You had to sell it. You had to sell it back to him. And that was called redeeming your land. It's taking something that you had that you that belonged to you, that you had lost, and then having it be returned to its rightful owner. Also, maybe I didn't have the money, but maybe my, you know, maybe one of my brothers did, or one of my one of my my family members had the money. And so they could come and come to Will and say, okay, you know, I'm going to buy back this land to give it back to Ryan. And, and, then they, and then again, he would have to honor that. He'd have to give it back to us. And then that person would be called my, my redeemer. Okay, so it's this idea of something that was owned by a particular person has been lost, and now it's being returned to its rightful owner. And that's really what God is talking about here. Because he says in in verse 6, he says, I will redeem you with these great, you know, impressive actions of judgment that's really going to put Pharaoh in his place. And then in verse 7, he says, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. We talked about this last week, that God is not like Batman. Anybody remember that? God is not like Batman. You know, Batman, he's, he swoops in, saves the day, then swoops out, and then you, you never, never hear from him again. That's not what God is like. That God, he brings us out, he saves us, not just to let us, you know, so we can just run, run off and get ourselves in a mess again. He saves us so we can be with him. So I was thinking about the, uh, that this week, thinking about this this week, and so, okay, so God's not like Batman. What, what is God kind of like? Well, has anybody seen the movie Taken? Y'all seen this movie before? I actually haven't seen this movie. Um, so, you know, forgive me if there's something really terrible in it. But, uh, but, but from, from the previews, <laughs> uh, the plot seems to be um, that so there, there's a guy uh, and his daughter is abducted and she's, she's trafficked by these, you know, human traffickers. Is that right? Am I good so far? And then this guy basically says, I'm going to get my daughter back, right? And he's, you know, not trying to 
not trying to hurt anybody. That's not the point. I want to get my daughter back. But if I have to, you know, I'm not afraid to do what I have to do, okay? Um, so so God, is a, God, is, God is less like Batman, and he's more like Liam, Liam Neeson, is that his name? The guy from, the guy from, I'm getting the thumbs up, uh, the, the guy from, from Taken, right? Um, and so a couple examples of this. In, in chapter four, we didn't read it today, but in chapter four, the first time Moses goes to Pharaoh, he says to Pharaoh, this is so interesting. He says, Israel is my son. Is Israel is my son. Now let my, let my son go or I will kill your son. So he says to Pharaoh. In Exodus 19, when they've come out of, you know, spoiler alert, they, they come out of, of Egypt and, um, and they're at Mount Sinai and, and God says, he says that, you will be a people for my, of my own possession. You will be my people, and you and I will be your God. Okay, so God is more like Liam Neeson and, and Taken than, than, than Batman. He, he saves us so we can be his. Okay? I, I love, again, I've, I've really enjoyed, I didn't grow up doing catechisms. Um, we grew up with Awana memorizing Bible verses in exchange for, for candy. Um, but I've really loved what Teresa's been taking the kids through, and I feel like I've learned a lot from it too, the, the New City Catechism. And what is the first, who, can, who remembers the first question of the New City Catechism? Can anybody say it? Larry, can you shout it out? What is our only hope in life and death? That's a big one. Our only hope in life and death. So that we, we are not our own, but we belong to God. We are not our own, but we belong to God. Okay, God redeems us, he saves us so, so we can be returned to our rightful owner, so we can be returned to God. So he promises he'll, get, he'll redeem them, he'll deliver them, and then he, he, he reminds them again, he says, and I will give you, in verse, uh, in verse eight, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give your father's. So these are God's promises, and God comforts Moses by reminding him, these are my promises. I will keep my promises. I am that I am. I'm not like you where I promise something one day, and then I forget about it the next day. I, I just am, right? So, okay, so what does this have to do with us? So we, like the Israelite people, are God's, are God's people, aren't we? So we, we're God's people too. You know, we're not we're not necessarily Jewish, but we, we're God's people. And God is the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So God, the Lord, the capital L O R D, He keeps His promises. So when we're discouraged, when we feel like we're doing our best to try to obey God, and it's just making things worse, how should we encourage ourselves? Well, we should encourage ourselves. I think God wants to encourage us the way he was encouraging Moses, by reminding us of his promises to us. Let me give you, I just want to read a list of some of the promises that God gives in his word, specifically, specifically to us. Okay, I'm just going to, I'm just going to read through these. In, in life groups, I put in some of the life group materials, uh, some 
the, the specific verses and encourage you to go back and, and look them up and to think about them and really meditate on them and, and memorize them. But I just want to read through this list. So first of all, God, he promises to forgive our sins. He promises to forgive our sins. He promises to adopt us into his family. Again, God is more like Liam Neeson than he is Batman. Okay, he, he wants us to be a people for his own possession too. He promises to be with us. He, he literally promises to put his spirit inside of us and he's with us wherever we go, no matter what happens. He promises that he is going to use, that he is using every single thing, and that means every single thing in your life, good things, bad things, boring things, terrifying things, he's going to use everything in your life to make you more like Jesus. He promises that he will give us eternal life. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, he will live. He promises that he will give us eternal life. He also promises that he one day will come back for us. You know, we've been waiting, you know, a long, long time, just like Abraham had to wait a long, long time for that promise, right? Do we ever kind of feel like maybe the Israelites felt, is God, I mean, maybe he's just forgotten about us. No, he promises that he's going to come back. He promises that we will be raised again from the dead. He promises us that we'll be able to live forever with him in a, this is kind of a long one, we'll live forever with him in a unified, harmonious, multi-ethnic family forever in a place with no sin, with no suffering, with no hardships. Okay, so these are some of God's promises. So let me just ask the question kind of very bluntly. If you're feeling like I was describing today, what should you do? This is the so what. What should you do? Well, first of all, I'd encourage you to pray for everything. Pray about everything. Okay? In, in Philippians, Paul says, he, he tells the people, he says, if you're anxious, don't be anxious, pray. Present your requests before God. And then the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So, so pray about everything. Pray about everything and anything. God isn't like us. He doesn't get irritated if we ask him for too many things. All right? He, it's not, you know, the 10th time I ask him for the same thing, he's not like, shut up. He, he doesn't do that. He, he's, he's patient. He's always, he's always with us. He always, always loves us. He's always the same. Okay, pray, pray for everything. But remember, in that verse I just quoted in, in Philippians, it says, you know, present your requests. What, what do you want? What do you need? Present them to God. But what does he promise will, will be given to us? Does he say, and then whatever you ask for, you know, you'll get it. He doesn't say that. What does he say? He says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and will guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Okay, so number one, pray, for, pray about everything. But second of all, and most importantly, cling to God's promises. Okay, cling to God's promises. Because, so I, I think sometimes that we use this term, you know, God is faithful. I, I think sometimes we, you know, and it's not a really bad thing, but, but I think sometimes we, 
we don't use it super accurately because so and I've probably said stuff like this before too, but you know sometimes we'll say, okay, so you know uh, my family member is 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 sick, uh, is diagnosed with cancer, but I know that God is faithful, so I know that God's going to heal them. Or I I know that um, you know I I I've lost my job, but I know that I'm looking at this new job, but I know because God is faithful, He's going to let me get this job. And that's I mean I, yeah I see some some folks shaking your head. Uh, this is that's not what He promises. Okay now should we pray for those things? Should we expect that God's going to surprise us with good stuff that we didn't even plan for? Yes we should. But that's not because of God's faithfulness, that's because of God's goodness. Okay, so we should always, you know, Psalm 23, goodness and mercy will follow me all of the days of my life. Okay, so I'm not, well, I'm not going in with just this kind of fatalism, oh, you know, Eeyore type of head drooping, well, I applied for the job, but you know, I'm not going to get it, I know, because um, God doesn't want me to be happy. He wants me to be whole. It's not, not that type of thing, because, no, God's a good father. He loves giving us good things, okay? So we can be hopeful for those things. But in those moments where we're just in a super, super dark place, we need more than like a, well, hey, maybe that'll happen. Maybe, maybe things will turn around. We need some promises that you can take to the bank and grab onto and cling to. Because we can ask God for anything, but when God makes us a promise, and listen to this, when God makes us a promise, we can hold him accountable for it. We can actually hold him accountable for it. Okay, so Moses does this later in Exodus in chapter 32. When God's, you know, the people are rebelling and, and God's saying, well, I mean, I should destroy these people. They're, they're evil. They're sinful. And Moses says, God, you can't do that. You promised you would take these people out of Egypt and you would bring them into the land of Canaan and that you would be their God and that they would be your people. If you don't do it, then people are going to say, the Egyptians are going to say, oh, there's that God. He said he could do it, but he couldn't do it. God, you have to do this. You promised to do this. He's holding God accountable for God's promises. And when God has made promises to us, we can do the same. We should do the same with him. And that's how we can be encouraged. So let's give a couple of examples. You know, so, okay, so financially speaking, maybe we, we lose our job or if you're, you're like me, you're, you're, you're trying to buy a house, not a good time to buy a house. Um, you know, praying, oh God, you know, please, like we, need, we, we would like to, have, to be able to, to buy a home. Um, but, you know, stuff is so expensive and the market's so crazy. God, please give us a house. Now, God hasn't promised he's going to give me a house, right? I would like a house. He hasn't promised me he's going to give me a house. What he has promised me is that whether I'm, you know, whether I'm in a, a four-bedroom, you know, single-family home with a nice yard and, you know, low HOA fees and, and, and whatever, whether I'm living there or whether I'm, you know, renting, a, renting my parents' basement, that he's going to be with me. He's going to be with me. So think about when we deal with health issues. 
you know, and again, we, we often think, okay, you know, I, I'm dealing with this thing, but God's faithful. I know he's going to take it away. And again, because of God's goodness, we should and we can ask him to take stuff away. And there's good reason to, to expect that he, that he likely will. But he hasn't promised to cure us of cancer. He hasn't promised to, um, to, take, away, to take away chronic pain. He hasn't promised to whatever it is, whether it's a mental health thing or it's a, it's a physical thing or it's a, a relational thing. He hasn't promised to take that away. But what he has promised is that one day he's going to raise us from the dead and he's going to give us new bodies that don't get sick. And he says that compared to what it will be like to be with him in our glorified body, that the, the worst chronic, you know, back pain or knee pain or the worst chronic anxiety or, or the worst cancer battle, it's just a light momentary affliction compared to the glory of what we're going to experience with him. Here's a, here's a really tough one, too. Um, God hasn't promised that all of our loved ones are going to trust him. He hasn't promised, okay, you've trusted in me. I'm going to make sure that every, everybody you love is going, to be, is going to be saved. He hasn't promised us that. Is there good reason to pray and, and plead with God every single day for the people that we love? God, please show yourself to that person. Please help, it to, help the gospel to make sense to that person. Absolutely. And we should do that. And again, there's good reason to think he's going to work. We know he listens and he responds to our prayers. But has he promised me that my, that my family, all of my family members or all of my loved ones are going to come to know him? He hasn't. And again, that's, a, that's the scariest thing. I, as, as a father, that's the scariest thing I can think of right now. But what he has promised me is that one day he's going to wipe every tear from every eye. And sometimes I hear that and I think, God, if, if, you know, if, if certain loved ones I have, if they don't come to know you, there is, there is nothing that can wipe those tears away. I will be in heaven filled with regret and sadness. There's nothing that can take that pain away. And God says, I will wipe away every tear from every eye. You, we might have no idea how he's going to do that. It might seem impossible, but God can do it. And when we're in these dark places, we need to cling to his promises and say, say, God, you promised me that you're going to give me peace. God, you promised me you're going to give me self-control. You promised me that you're going to work in me and use these terrible circumstances to make me more like you. So let's do that. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for being good. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for, thank you for telling us the things that you're going to do for us, for telling us so many of the things that you're going to do for us. I pray for myself. I pray for my brothers and sisters here that are watching uh, at home. God, would you, would you give us more faith? Help us to believe your promises. I pray that we would reject lies and that we would, we would cling to your promises, God. And we love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.